Welcome to Confessions of the Queer Believer, exploring and reconciling issues of religion and queer identity in the Black community. I'm your host, Kwame. Thank you so much for joining everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Confessions of the Queer Believer. I'm your host, Kwame. Uh, This week, we have a special guest with us, Angel Gravely. And uh, we'll be talking more about her and with her in a while. But I just wanted to acknowledge uh, last week, we lost one of our civil rights leaders in the U.S., Congressman, Congressman John Lewis. And um, as we know, uh, Congressman was also a sponsor and advocate of several bills, including the Respect for Marriage Act, the bill to repeal DOMA, uh, the Employment ENDA, Employment Non-Discrimination Act, and several uh, other acts. Uh, May his soul rest in peace. I want to thank everyone also for uh, who have reached out with with feedback on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your feedback. And I appreciate uh, all of that. Uh, So as I said earlier, we have a special guest in-house today. Hey, Angel. Hi. How are you? (laughs) Good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to have you. Now, just before we get in, uh, Angelique, Angel Gravely, she is a bisexual educator, writer, speaker, and advocate based in the Philadelphia area. And since 2013, she has worked to bridge opportunity and knowledge gaps between marginalized and privileged communities by addressing LGBTQ issues from an intersectional lens. Uh, So we have someone special with us and she has a lot of history uh, in this particular area we're gonna discuss. She obtained her master's in education in counselor education and human sexuality studies from Widener University and her BA and passion for this work from Eastern University. And also, uh, in addition to her degree, she possesses elementary and secondary school counseling certification from the Pennsylvania Department of Education and Professional Development Facilitator Certification from GLSEN. Getting tongue tied. I'm sorry about that, guys. (laughs) All right, so thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast, and I'm hoping you're having such a wonderful day. So, so Angel, talk to us a little bit about your early years, you know, in the home, uh, growing up, and also in the church, and you can feel free to just tell us about yourself before we dig right into some of the questions we have for you today. Yeah, sure. So my, I had unique experiences growing up. Uh, because I grew up in a single parent military family. So my mom was in the army until very recently, which meant that most of my life, we moved about every two years. So it was me, her, and my grandma lived with us for most of my life as well, moving around. Uh, And my family was really, really involved in church, really active Christian women. Um, But unlike a lot of people who grew up in church, I didn't grow up with like a home church because I was moving so much. 
So I was constantly experiencing like different churches. We lived mostly up and down the East Coast, um, but sometimes in different places. And I was also in Christian schools for most of my life. Um, and again, that was an experience of bouncing around between different schools and slightly different ways of doing things. So I grew up um, really navigating these different ways of doing Christianity and of being a Christian. And I think um, when I, so when I was in elementary school, uh, my grandma was attending predominantly white churches mostly. Mm -hmm. And my mom was attending predominantly black churches, which I was always, I, so I always was part of some predominantly black congregation, whether it was on a base or in a church near us. But when I was in elementary school, I was going back and forth between predominantly black congregations and predominantly white congregations. And so I got this really interesting perspective on different racial differences in terms of worship styles, um, and eventually in terms of like beliefs, which I think played a huge impact on me when I was in high school and I was navigating the differences between my uh, white Christian mm -hmm. schools and my the black churches that I was a part of and specifically how they were talking about mm -hmm. queerness or not talking right, about right, it. Right. And and what were some of those differences that that you noticed between um, you know both both groups? So my schools were very explicit about their beliefs about queerness. My high schools were very blatantly homophobic. Um, I sat through several ministers preaching about the sin of homosexuality. I sat through some teachers just talking about it in classes. Um, and there was, I would say, especially at my second high school, this, um, I mean, maybe at my first high school too, but the like atmosphere for students was also like, this is very not okay. This is, um, at my second high school, I really got the sense of like, this is one of the worst sins that you mm -hmm. can do, being gay. Um, and if you are, like, we will ostracize you until you either feel like you should leave or you actually do leave. Right. Versus, and, and no, and go ahead. Just context, this again was a Christian high school, a Christian school, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Um. But my churches, we really didn't talk mm -hmm. about it. It was a very don't ask, don't mm -hmm. tell. So it was like, it was still bad, but it was like the only time that queerness came up was maybe in like an insinuation someone made or like when I was younger, I remember like hearing adults sometimes talking about things behind closed doors that I knew I wasn't supposed mm -hmm. to hear. Um, but that was really the only time that it came up. Like I remember one sermon when I was in high school where it came up, but it was like a footnote to say, hate the sin, love the sinner. And mm -hmm. that was it. So it was very like erasive of black queerness, I guess. <laughs> That's how it felt right. to me because I was like, you know, at, in my Christian schools, it was like, 
we have seen this. We know that this is a thing that's happening and we're calling it bad, which was horrible and had like a negative mm-hmm. impact on me. But then to be in black church spaces and it's like we're not talking about it. So we're pretending it doesn't exist. It made me feel like, oh, so people like me don't really exist. Like I'm some anomaly. So, Angel, back again. At what point did you and, and first of all, you identify as bisexual, correct? Okay. Yes. And at what point were you very conscious and fully aware that this was your sexual identity? And, um, you know, how did that play out in terms of your own family? Yeah. So I, between the time I was about 13 and 16 was when I was really figuring it out. Um, I, so I like had crushes on people of different genders since I was little, but I didn't really understand that that's what was happening um, for a very long time. And so when I was 13, I developed a crush on a girl at my school. And for the first time, I was like, why does this feel like the feelings that I have for boys? What (laughs) is happening here? Like, you know, like I would say things like I just admire her so much. And I just, like want to be close to her, which were the ways that I had like tried to repress my crushes for years. But when I was 13, it was like, no, but those words aren't cutting it anymore. And so I was really like, I spent like between 13 and 16 really wrestling with like, I'm having these feelings and I feel like they're romantic and I know that that's not okay. And also, as far as I'm concerned at the time, I've only ever been attracted to boys and I'm still attracted Mm -hmm. to boys. So what, like the idea that I could be bisexual was not really an option Mm -hmm. for me until later in high school, because I felt like, like I knew people who identified as bisexual, but it felt like as a black Christian, that was not an option for me. Um. So by the time I was probably 16, I reached the point where I was like, these feelings aren't going away. I clearly am attracted to more than one gender. Now I just have to figure out what to do Mm -hmm. with it. And my decision at that time was I have to, like, I can't fight these feelings. I try to ignore them. They're not going away. So I felt like I just have to not act Mm -hmm. on them. I have to not identify as bisexual. I have to not Um, pursue relationships with girls. I have to um, not pursue like any sort of like um, romantic intimacy with girls. And what ended up happening was that it also made me like hold back Mm -hmm. from like pursuing crushes that I had on guys. I mean, there were lots of reasons why I didn't, but part of it was like, oh, if I like open the door and I have this experience, then I'm going to want it with girls and then I'll be Mm -hmm, sinning. mm -hmm. Makes sense. (laughs) I completely understand. And uh, just in terms of, did you ever have any of those early conversations with your mom or or with your church when you were trying to understand um, your your sexual identity? Oh, no, not at all. So I, (laughs) (laughs) so I, my family is interesting because I, always felt like I got a lot of mixed messages. So like I talked a lot about like what I was hearing from church and what I was hearing from school because I was always kind of confused about what I was hearing at home. 
because my mom is the type of person, my mom was always very um, open in some ways. Like she wasn't afraid of like letting me be really into queer media or like talking about that. Like in 10th grade, I bought the movie Rent and fell in love with it and like watched it 50 times. And my mom was really supportive of it and like took me to see it um, and was open to talking to me about like shows where there were or movies where there were queer relationships. But she would also make side comments sometimes that made me know that like this was not what an ideal relationship should look like in her eyes. Mm-hmm. So like if somebody like if a gay couple kiss she would like make some comment about (laughs) why did they have to add that and so I was very much like I can't talk to her (laughs) about this because I don't really know how she's going to respond to me being here um or like how she's gonna understand my bisexuality and in my head too as a teenager I was like I've got it covered Mm -hmm. like all I have to do is not act on it not claim this identity, everything's great and cool. And so it wasn't until after I graduated from college that I actually started having conversations with her okay. about it. Okay. And and how were those conversations, if you don't mind? Um they got progressively mm-hmm. better. <laughs> I when so when I first came out to her, I she I had moved to Philly and she was stationed in Germany. So we weren't face to face or anything. And I had written an article for this newsletter called By Women Quarterly, where I talked about some of the things that led to me finally being able to start coming out when I was in college. And so she, we would like email regular check-in emails. How are you doing? All that stuff since we were in different time zones and couldn't talk all the time. And in one of those check-in emails, at the end of it, I was like, also, I wrote this thing that was published in this newsletter. If you have any questions, let me know. And that's how I came out to her. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so she, so her response was, um, oh, well, you know, like nothing's changed. I'll always love you. You can talk to me about anything, which was really accepting, mm-hmm. but it also was like, I wanted things to change. That's why I had come out to her. Like I wanted the atmosphere of our relationship to change so that I felt like I could talk to her more openly about my bisexuality and like my experiences, especially because part of the reason I moved to Philly was so that I could get more connected to the LGBTQ plus community. Um, And that shift didn't happen right Mm -hmm. away. And when I brought it up to her a couple years later that I felt like I couldn't talk openly, it led to this big fight. (laughs) Um, And so it's only been probably within the past few years um, since maybe like 2016. So I first came out to her in 2013 and I'd say since probably 2016 that I felt like there has been a shift in our relationship where I feel more comfortable talking to her about my experiences and I feel like she feels more open. She might disagree with me. We disagree on a lot of things right. <laughs> on our relationship. <laughs> but I feel like 
in our conversations, like she feels more able to like ask questions. Like I made a video earlier this summer with tips about teaching about bisexuality and pansexuality. And I um, invited her to look at it and she did. Um, and she had some questions after it. And we had a really nice conversation about that. And I feel like when I first came out, that would not mm-hmm. have happened. So it definitely has been prog- progress over the time period. Sure. Yes. And then uh, wanted to dig a little bit into your work because, as I mentioned earlier, a certified school counselor and also an advocate. So I wanted to talk with me a little bit about your work with uh, GLSEN. You can give me if I'm saying it right, as well as <laughs> wonderful. And then the bisexual plus community. Yeah. So, um, so I'll start by talking about my work in the bi community because that was kind of the starting point. Um, So when I graduated from college, so I went to a Christian college that is interesting in the sense that there was a lot of space to be exposed to more affirming theologies. And that was part of why I was able to start the process of coming out while I was in college. But at the same time, there was still a lot of conservative ideas and restrictive ideas. And so I graduated feeling really frustrated because I'd had the tools to, I was given the tools to figure out that, you know, it might be okay to be bisexual and Christian and to claim both of those identities. But then I wasn't given the full space to explore that within the context of my school and with the context of ministries that I was in. And so I ended up writing about my experiences online and that, writing led to my getting connected to um, an alumni organization that was working to get my alma mater to add anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ plus students and staff. And so part of that writing and some writing that I had done when I was in college led me to feel like the working out of what it meant to be Black and bisexual and Christian was going to happen for me through writing. And so I started writing more about my bisexual experiences. um, And that's how I ended up getting published in Bi Women Quarterly. And I was published in Believe Out Loud. Um, And through that writing, I ended up getting noticed, I guess, by one of the major bi organizations in the country, BiNet USA, and I got invited to attend a bisexual community briefing at the White House in 2016. And that was really, um, so there were like over 100 bisexual activists and leaders from all over the country um, there. And that really... Uh, I guess shifted my perspective about what my future work could look like because I was connected to so many people that were doing such good work for the community. And because at the time I was working at an LGBTQ plus nonprofit and was feeling really frustrated because there weren't a lot of bi plus specific services. Um, And so that bisexual community briefing inspired me to do more for the bi plus community. And so that 
part of that led me to when I went to grad school, I decided like I knew that I wanted to be a school counselor for forever. And at that point, I had been talking about my personal experiences since 2013. And I knew that I wanted to do something else to support the LGBTQ plus community. Um, so I decided to add on the human sexuality education portion of my degree so that I could learn how to teach more about the LGBTQ plus community and really teach about ways to be supportive of the bi plus community and of black LGBTQ plus people and of all these intersections and sub communities that often get erased in the mainstream ways of talking about the LGBTQ plus community. And while I was at grad school, I noticed in my school counseling classes that there was a lack of knowledge from faculty mm -hmm. about working with the LGBTQ plus community and how to teach future school counselors, future homeschool visitors, how they can best support the LGBTQ plus community. And that's what led me to get involved with GLSEN. So GLSEN, uh, is a national organization that works to support LGBTQ plus K-12 students. And at the time, at the end of my first year of grad school, a new chapter of GLSEN was just starting in Philadelphia. And so I got connected to them and eventually ended up being on the board. And so we're still fairly new and um, figuring out exactly what our work is going to look like in Philly because Philly has a lot of LGBTQ plus resources in the community already. It's just figuring out how to connect students, how to connect families, um, how to keep track of who's doing what to make sure that all students in the city are have access to like affirming LGBTQ plus spaces. Um, so that's some of the work that I'm doing. I feel like I'm no, 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 you're fine. I got it. You know, there's one thing that I wanted to, um, for, for some persons who may still tr not fully understand, uh, bisexuality and, um, you have done a lot of education and all of talks on that. Sometimes we speak generally about, you know, homosexuality or, you know, what, what not understanding bisexuality. For someone who is trying to understand, um, how can you like both? <laughs> um, can okay. you explain that for, for me just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, um, so the first thing I want to say is that there is an assumption that bisexuality looks one way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that bisexuality can be defined as one thing. So most of the time, if you ask people, how do you define bisexuality? They will say uh, being attracted to men and women. And I always say that that is one definition of bisexuality. But one of the things about the bisexual plus community that a lot of people outside of the community aren't aware of is that there are many different definitions of bisexuality. And that's one of the things that um, I think makes our community so beautiful and wonderful is that people experience uh, their attraction to more than one gender in lots of different ways. So like for me, when I define my personal definition of bisexuality, I say I'm attracted to genders that are similar to mine and different from mine. 
because similarity and difference plays a huge role in how I experience my attraction to different mm-hmm. people. Um, but when I teach about bisexuality, what I often say is, um, so bisexuality encompasses attraction, being attracted to more than one gender. That doesn't necessarily mean being attracted to different genders in the same way. It doesn't mean necessarily mean just being attracted to two genders. Like you can be attracted to non-binary people. You can be attracted to just women and non-binary people. You can be attracted to just men and mm-hmm. women. There are lots of different ways that it looks. Right. Um, but really the one thing that brings it all together is just you experience attraction to more than one gender. And how that attraction works out is different for everybody. Definitely makes sense. Uh, and, and then just to talk a little bit now in terms of um, the challenges, you mentioned while at college, you you definitely had a little bit more um, an aff- of an affirming space. Uh, but talk to me about the challenges you have found in terms of finding Black aff- affirming religious spaces. Yeah, so... One of the major challenges when I was in college, so my university was a predominantly white institution. And when I first came out and was talking to people, to like faculty or, so I, the very first time I came out, I wasn't on campus. It was over the summer and I was at a study away program. And I spoke to one of the like guest lecturers there after the class where I had come out to everybody. Um, and when I talked about like really feeling like I needed to find a church space that was rooted in like black worship traditions, my the response I was met with was. Um, yeah, that's going to be really hard to find. And I feel like in, when I was in college, I was constantly being met by um, really supportive white faculty members, really supportive friends who just didn't know what Black affirming spaces existed which then made it harder for me because they were reinforcing this idea that I had grown up with of like, there's not Mm -hmm. a space for Mm -hmm. me. Um, And so it wasn't until, so my senior year, I found out about a church in Philly. So I went to school like right outside of Philly, but not close enough that it was easy enough to come back and forth without having a car. So I went to this church once when a friend who came to visit had a car, but it was way too far for me to get to every Sunday using public transportation. So I never went again. And then when I moved to Philly, I moved to a a side of Philly where it was still going to be really hard for me to get to that church. So I really struggled trying to find an affirming Black or even multiracial mm-hmm. church that really fit my worship experiences. Right. So like I happened to be, so I was working at an Episcopal church when I first moved to Philly and it was predominantly white. Um, and because of my housing arrangement had fallen apart right before I'd moved to Philly through my networking through the church that I worked at, I ended up spending my first nine months in Philly living 
in a building on the church campus of this predominantly black Episcopal church. And so I visited there a couple of times. It was uh, affirming. And so was the church that I worked at, but I'm not Episcopalian. So it still wasn't really. Yeah, (laughs) it was very different. And so I was looking, I just spent so much time like looking on websites, trying to figure out is this church affirming or not? Does this church have black people in it or not? Um, Like I'm looking at trying to find pictures Mm -hmm. of congregations, all of that stuff. And so it wasn't until um, probably, so I started looking for a church probably in November. uh, And it wasn't until February that I ended up finding the church that I go to now. Because it was, at the time, it was a part of the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries which I had like vaguely heard about because I'd read some article about Bishop right. Wonder at some mm-hmm. point. Um, and so I went to it and I, at that point, so I tried to go to another church the week before and nobody was there, couldn't find the door. I don't know what had happened. Mm-hmm. And I was so tired of looking for a church that the Sunday that I ended up finding my church, I was like, look, God. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm done. I'm tired of searching. I'm going to go on a hiatus from searching for a church if this church does not work out. And then it ended up being the church that I've been at for the past several Mm -hmm. years. And what has made you stay? Mm. Wow. Um, I think (laughs) I'm trying to think of the most concise way to (laughs) say this because I love my church. Um, I think we, we have really great leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, so one of the things about affirming churches that I have seen is that most affirming churches come in two varieties. They are um, churches that were created in like denominations that were not affirming, like the denomination might not have been affirming at the Mm -hmm. beginning, but at some point they decided, oh, we need to be inclusive. And so they added on, you know, this inclusivity or their churches that were created by LGBTQ plus people who had felt ostracized by the The churches. churches Yeah, the mainstream churches. And so they created their own thing. Um. And so there's, uh, so I feel like there's this still kind of divide almost of like a straight church versus a Mm -hmm. gay church, even though they're all Mm -hmm. affirming Mm -hmm. churches. But my church, so my pastor is gay. um, But when he created this church, his vision was always, this is a church for everybody. So from the get-go, it was like, this is not a quote-unquote gay church. This is a church for everybody. So there will always be gay people and straight people together and bi people, like trans people, anybody is welcome here. And that's the foundation that we're starting on. Uh, And I feel like I can feel the difference of a church that started on that foundation compared to churches that were started in those other different places. Mm -hmm. Completely. And as someone who's like, because I'm bisexual and because like I could end up 
in a relationship with somebody who's straight. I could end up in a relationship with someone who's mm-hmm. gay, with someone who's bi, with someone who's anywhere. And because I have close friendships with people who are all over the sexuality spectrum, it's really nice to have a space to come to a church where like, I know that, you know, my straight friends can be comfortable here and my gay friends can be comfortable here and my bi friends can be comfortable here and my trans friends can be comfortable here. Um, I think that that is one of the, one of the many reasons that I've That's stayed. That's good. Well, do, do you mind sharing for those uh, listeners who might be, uh, you know, in your area and who might want to go to this church? Do you mind sharing if you have a Facebook page or if they can find it somewhere? Yes. So my church's name is Empowering Word Ministries. We do have a Facebook page and an Instagram page, and we are having all of our services online right now. You can watch us on Facebook Live or you can join in via Zoom with us and we'd be happy to have sounds you. Sounds good. Sounds good. And what's where's the location again? In uh West, West Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Okay, wonderful. All right. And and then uh you know we we have a few minutes, but I wanted to just talk about uh, two things again. Um black queer teens, young adults, you, you are also a school counselor. Uh, and and this is something I, I generally ask all you know a lot of my guests. But for persons who might be experiencing difficulties uh, reconciling their faith, and, and and it doesn't have to be at an age thing because there's somebody at fifty or sixty. I, I have a friend who did not become very conscious or aware of his sexuality until he was very very old. And um, but for those persons who are struggling to reconcile their faith and their sexual identity, and I know you said you did have that struggle at some point in your own life. What, what can you say to those persons who might be facing that particular struggle at this point in time in their own lives? I want them to know that they're not alone. Uh, I think that So often when we grow up that way, part of our struggle is that we're really separated from queer Black Christian history, um, from possibility models. Mm -hmm. And I think that finding those can be really helpful in coming to terms with your own identities and coming to understand that you know, God made you just the way you are and loves you just the way you are. I think for me, that one of the most healing things was just getting exposure to by Christians and black, same gender loving Christians and black by folks um, and seeing, oh, like other people are doing this. Other people are you know, still able to minister and live out the calling that God has on their lives while claiming their mm-hmm. truth. And that opened me to feel like, oh, okay, like there's, there is room for me. Like, I think that's really important just to know that there is room for you, whatever your identity is, um, whatever experiences you've had in the past with church or with other Christians, um, there is room for you. Yes, yes, that that's so well said, Angel. And as as persons have been reaching out uh, to me 
about the podcast, one of the things they keep on saying, you know, when you spoke of that possibility model is that, you know, some of them are saying, wow, I, I didn't know this was happening. And especially some of my friends who are also listening from from the islands as well. So so that is something that's very powerful, just just the exposure and knowing that other persons are doing it and other persons are able to reconcile their faith and their sexual identity. And then uh, you're in advocacy, you're a speaker, uh, you write as well. I know there's some persons who might be interested in having you, you know, to speak, uh, whether it's to a group or, you know, or, or for training, because you also do that as well. How can persons make contact with you? So to stay most up to date with what I'm doing, you can follow me on social media. I have an Instagram, uh, Angel Gravely, or uh, you can follow me on Facebook uh, at The Angel Gravely. Uh, and to see more about the trainings that I do, the speaking opportunities that I can provide, uh, you can contact me through my website, which is angelgravely.com. Wonderful. Angel, it, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on today. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's been very interesting just hearing your, your perspective on some of these items we discussed today. I hope that you will definitely have a great day today, a great rest of the day, and it was an absolute pleasure having you. Uh, thank you so wonderful. much. So, listeners, once again, thank you so much for tuning in to episode six of our podcast. Uh, we, as I said, thanks again for the feedback. Uh, and once again, if you have anything to share with us, or if you also want to be a guest on our podcast, feel free to reach out to us at cotqbpodcast at gmail.com. And if you use the Anchor app, you can also send us a voice note. Uh, once again, thank you so much for tuning in.